Ah, my friends, welcome back to the New Wave Podcast. Uh, this is Daniel DiPiazza checking in with you here for the special Friday recap of the show. And you know that on Friday I like to do these special Friday recaps. And so today we are uh, giving you some really interesting headlines from all over the internet. And I can't wait to hear your opinion on all this. Now, how are you going to give your opinion? Well, it's simple. The first thing you need to do is make sure you're subscribed to the New Wave podcast on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on. So that could be iTunes, it could be Spotify, it could be uh, Overcast or Stitcher or even Audible. And on that platform, please make sure you leave a rating and a review and a comment if it's possible uh, on that platform because that really helps us to grow the show. It helps us to increase the the value of the content we're putting out and just do uh, our job even better and we really appreciate it. And of course, uh, as we are diving into this material, let's not forget to thank our sponsor. Uh, That is, of course, uh, Swanick Sleep. Swanwick Sleep, I should say, if you want the better pronunciation for all you Americans, you gringos, S-W-A-N-W-I-C-K, Swanwick Sleep. I use their glasses all the time. I'm wearing them right now, actually. And uh, they're just, you know, they're great for people who are looking at the screens all the time, who are looking at computers all the time late into the night. Uh, It helps you to get better sleep after you've been hard at work. So definitely check them out. You can go to swanwicksleep.com forward slash Daniel and get 15% off. And, uh, you know, you don't get charged anymore for any type of affiliate stuff. Uh, you just get a better deal. You know, you just get 15% off. So it's pretty cool. Good deal for you. You can check it out in the show notes, by the way. And, uh, and that's it. Oh, by the way, make sure if you want to come see me in Tucson, Arizona, March 26th, that's this coming week, I'm speaking at Soul Revival with uh, doctors Brett and Kate Jones and the Kairos, uh, Kairos training crew. Uh, and we're going to have a lot of fun out there talking spirit, business, and everything in between. You can check out those uh, those links in the show notes and on newwaveentrepreneur.com. So now, let's get into today's headlines. Okay, so I have... About five or six things I want to talk to you about today, and we'll start with some of the lighter stuff, and we'll then we'll get into some of the more serious stuff as we go uh, throughout these headlines. The first thing is, oh my God, <sighs> guys, <clears throat> I don't know if you've been following uh, what's going on with Kanye, and and well, first, you know, he's in the middle of a huge press run for his most recent documentary, which is out on Netflix. And it's actually a pretty nicely coordinated run because he has he had the release of Donda last year, which had a big release and uh, had some really highly anticipated public listening parties, listening, you know, concerts essentially. And look, you know, from an entertainment perspective, you could say, oh, well, that's just pop culture doesn't matter. But I really like to look at it from a branding perspective. I think that the way that he has done the branding around his work over the past, you know, X amount of years has been genius. Yes, he's had his moments and we can talk about uh, you know, what we did or didn't like about how he's done many things over the years. But if there's one thing that he has been, it's at least consistent in his own narrative of, you know, at least being honest to what he feels. And you can see that too in his documentary, uh, uh, um, oh God, uh, Genius, Genius, duh. And, um, you know, what was so interesting about that documentary is that he... You have to have a pretty good bet that someone is going to be or do something special to invest that much time 
into recording their career from the very beginning, since before they were ever anything. And that's what Kanye himself and people around him uh, have had invested in him. And I really think that he does have something special. Uh, but also you can see that his drive is relentless. And I think that we often forget, you know, in order for us to attain something for ourselves in this 3D world, because we are operating in a 3D world here, uh, we have to really have a strong vision to keep a strong vision for ourselves and a strong vision for our future and the way that we want to live our lives. And, you know, you can like or not Kanye's response to the world and how he handles his, his life. But if there's one thing he has, in addition to his honesty, it's his strong convictions and um, that allows him to push through a lot of the things he perceives as challenges. And it's allowed him to get to <clears throat> many milestones, not only musically, which I think he is one of, if not the most well-decorated uh, you know, Grammy award-winning artist of all time, but also uh, he is now a billionaire. And, and these are things you can't necessarily take away from him. Well, I guess you can take away a billionaire, but you, you, know, you can't take away the accomplishment at least. And this is... This is from him literally calling it out first. He called out, he, he called a shot and then he made it. And when people do that in any industry, you have to respect them. And he's been going for years and calling his shots and, and publicly failing, but also making a lot too. So I, I see him as a great, uh, as a great culture maker, as a great, uh, at least a brand visionary. You know, you can't say, for instance, that, uh, his, his vision for shoe wear, for footwear didn't change the game. Like those, uh, those Yeezys, you know, that, the, the look of that, like the slipper look, the slip on, you know, no shoelace, uh, kind of like really flexible, uh, comfortable, like loungewear type shoes. He made that whole, that whole genre. And even recently, there was a lawsuit that was filed against Walmart by uh, Kanye's brand and basically alleging that Walmart had uh, infringed on the copyright, or I guess it would be the, the, the patent or the designs of the Yeezy brand. And uh, this was found in a, in, a, in a court to have been accurate. And Walmart was, I think, forced with, uh, faced with not only uh, having to take a certain uh, number of skews of shoes off of their shelves, which looked and resembled too much the uh, the Yeezy brand and the Yeezy patent and trademark, but also I think they were required to pay Kanye some money, which is interesting too. So that, if anything, shows that, you know, literally big brands are jockeying that style, which Kanye pioneered. And that's nothing new. I mean, if you look at Forever 21, for instance, they're a huge merchant and they're constantly ripping off different independent artists. It's just that Kanye has enough money to look at that and call them on their bluff but these big companies are ripping off artists all the time. They're not coming up with their original ideas. Still, though, I thought it was interesting. And so I just find that uh, that fascinating about Kanye. But all of that to say, if you're following what's going on with him and Kim, they're publicly, uh, they've had a meltdown, or at least Kanye's had a meltdown. And, dude, I don't know if you're watching uh, what is going on with Kim now, but <laughs> her and Pete Davidson are dating. Who is Pete Davidson? He is a comedian from Saturday Night Live. He was at one point engaged to Ariana Grande. Um, he is, I don't have, I don't have any negative opinion against him. It, it just seems like an interesting choice for Kim. And because he's not, uh, he's a lot different than Kanye, which is fine. He, he's definitely younger than her. He's 28 to Kim's 41. And he is, I mean, he's uh, 
kind of a skinny, pale-looking, out-of-shape white guy. Again, fine, but completely different. He's he's a comedian. Um, and I also just think it's so quick after... I mean, she literally just got divorced and dropped her, changed her Instagram name last week. And they're already posting pictures on Instagram. So my question is, what... What is what message is that communicating to the public that it's normal <laughs> to immediately find someone else so quickly after you're getting a divorce with someone who you have five kids with? I don't know. To me, it seems very quick. All that to say, can you believe Pete Davidson has gotten a brand of Kim's name in addition to multiple tattoos on his body of Kim Kardashian? Now, this is not according to me. This is according to Kim on Ellen. Which is not so. I'm gonna play this clip for you. It's about a minute and a half, two minutes, and it's crazy. And I, I want you to hear that, and then we'll come back. Um, yeah, he has a few tattoos, a few cute ones, you know, that he got. Um, but this one is a. It's not that one. The Kim one isn't a tattoo. It's actually a branding, like a branding. Because let me explain it. Because he wanted to do something that was really different. Because like. Okay, first tattoo we got, I was like, oh, so cute, thank you, oh my God. So, you know, second, whatever, I'm like, oh, that's so cute, but like, that's what tattoo people do, right? Like, they get tattoos of what's going on in their life, and... Wait, back so up, I was like, back Am up, I, back up. Special? You said first tattoo, so he has three tattoos of you? Just, well, it sounds know. like this is like That'd the third... <laughs> so the first tattoo was, you said, kind of cute. So... Yeah. Is it your name or is it like a little... The branding is my name. Right. The other ones are like cutesy things. I think my favorite one, it says here, it says my girl is a lawyer. And that one's really cute. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. That one's really cute. Okay, so you can see what I'm talking about here. This is insane, right? And this is so funny because I just think it, it's got to be some sort of like childlike admiration of... He knows that this moment with Kim is not going to last forever, <laughs> but he just wants to make sure that it's branded, it, that that it's that it's, it's that it is forever emblazoned on his skin, that he can't remove it. And that to me is, uh, you know what? I understand, <laughs> but I think it's sick, man. That's horrible. Why would you do that? And he has multiple tattoos with references to Kim or Kim's name. That's just. Um, that's a bit much, man. It, it just, to me, that sounds like someone who's off the rocker a bit. And I guess, hey, you know, in this most recent episode with uh, with Chris Stoikos on Tuesday, I said, you know, we were talking about the idea of like not labeling people, of, of de-shaming mental health. So more power to him. I just feel like that's a strange choice. And it doesn't, it doesn't align with how I would run my life. So it, it seems foreign to me. I, I couldn't imagine... Um, you know, being in love with someone so quickly and to such a degree that I would get that permanently on my body. But everyone has their own personality, bro. So I, what do you think about that? Leave a comment on the blog or shoot me in the DM in, on Instagram at Daniel DiPiazza and let me know what you think about this. I, I think it's absolutely insane and hilarious. And um, he's also like collecting a lot of like star uh, exes now. I mean, I, I'm... Obviously, he's already he's with Kim now, but I'm assuming they're not going to get married for real. They're not going to. It's not going to be a serious thing. So, she he has Kim. He has Ariana Grande. Who else does he have? Man, but it's like you got to lock one down, man. You can't just keep bouncing around. You got to find one, lock it down. I don't think the Ariana Grande thing was his uh, his fault. I think that she was just kind of 
really broken up about Mac Miller dying. I think she just, <clears throat> there was too much going on at that time. Anyway, that's the Pete Davidson story. Laugh it up. That opens the day up. It's pretty light. Now, let's get on to, oh man, this is a really interesting one. Okay, so this is an interest piece. I call this an interest piece. And this was done at Brigham Young University. And the headline is, State-Funded uh, Study Finds that Elk Move When Hunting Season Starts and It's Causing Problems. So this is so interesting. So this is a, this is a study done by Brigham Young's Ecology Research Lab and that informs wildlife uh, management of new decisions that they should be making. And so I'm quoting here, research from BYU wildlife sciences professors finds that when hunting season starts, elk in Utah move off of public lands where they can be hunted and onto private lands where they cannot be hunted. And then when hunting season is over, they shift right back to public lands. This state-funded study found elk's use of public land decreased by over 30% by the middle of rifle season. Quote, it's crazy on the opening day of the hunt, they move, and on the closing day, they move back, said study senior author and BYU professor Brock McMillan. It's almost like they're thinking, oh, all these trucks are coming. It's opening day, better move. Quote, they understand death, added co-author and fellow BYU professor Randy Larson. They get it. They figured it out. So this is so interesting. And well, it's also saying that on the flip side, this is kind of kind of problematic because on the private land where they're they're temporarily migrating to, they're just grazing the crap out of it and damaging the farming and the infrastructure of that area. So it's kind of this catch twenty two of how they want to handle it. But I I always think it's interesting how studies and research they get surprised that animals understand death and are sentient. It's like, duh, just look at an animal. They are clearly perceiving things. Now, the way that they perceive things and the way that you perceive things might not be the same and they might not have thought patterns that are the same, but they clearly have emotions. They clearly have feelings. And um, I don't think it's surprising at all, especially when you're talking about uh, elk, which, you know, we're talking about land mammals, which are pretty, you know, pretty smart, I would say. I would say most land mammals have some level of community some level of intelligence you know for instance you think about pigs i think pigs have a reputation as being uh like kind of slovenly animals but they're actually extremely smart same thing with parrots you know you go under the under the ocean for instance you have like dolphins you have octopus they're so smart and so horses are very smart too and i would imagine horse and elk are pretty similar you know so <clears throat> yeah i i just i find it so funny that research is surprised that animals are sentient uh, what do you think about that have you ever experienced um uh, you, know, you know working with an animal where you could clearly tell that they were uh, you know they understood what you needed from them especially even you know dogs and cats obviously although i have two dogs and i can't say that they particularly are very fluent in english i think one of my dogs is autistic honestly i just talked to him and he looks at me and he doesn't, he just stares right past me blankly through my soul. That or he's a sociopath or maybe both. But he just, you know, he doesn't have any desire to please me. The other one definitely does have a desire, but she just can't get her, her life together. So it's it's definitely a difficult crew. But anyway, that's the news coming out of Brigham Young. I found that extremely interesting. By the way, all these links will be in our show notes, by the way. What do we have next? Ooh, this is a good one. This is coming from this is coming from Biotech, 
So this is coming out of The Verge, reported in The Verge. The headline is, AI suggested that 40,000 new possible chemical weapons, uh, well, it suggested 40,000 new possible chemical weapons in just six hours. That So, so this is an article that is detailing, guys, how uh, an AI program basically used existing information to develop lethal combinations of nerve agents extremely rapidly. And quoting here from The Verge, it took less than six hours for a drug developing AI to invent 40,000 potentially lethal molecules. Researchers put AI normally used to search for helpful drugs into a kind of, quote, bad actor mode to show how easily it could be abused at a biological arms control conference. All the researchers had to do was tweak their methodology to seek out rather than weed out toxicity. The AI came up with tens of thousands of new substances, some of which are similar to VX, the most potent nerve agent ever developed. Shaken, they published their findings this month in the journal Nature Machine Intelligence. Whew! Man, this is chilling. So this, and this article from The Verge does link that report that that research study in nature machine machine intelligence and i haven't read the initial um the initial research paper so that is something that i'm going to do i'm looking at it right now this is very interesting because just based on the initial report of this what this is what this is so uh i guess reminiscent of is the idea that humanity will be its own undoing will be our own unraveling in a sense it's like we have so much power in front of us and we've created these ai systems that literally in the touch of a button can can end us uh i know that sounds pessimistic what is there was an interesting quote here um let's see i'm from from the researchers this now one of the questions that was posed was tell us about what you found did anything surprise you this is quoting the researchers quote we weren't really sure what we were going to get our generative models are fairly new technology, so we haven't widely used them a lot. The biggest thing that jumped out to us at first was that a lot of the generated compounds were predicted to be actually more toxic than VX. And the reason that's surprising is that because VX is basically one of the most potent compounds known, meaning you need very, very, very little amount of it to be lethal. Now, these predictions that we haven't verified, now these are predictions that we haven't verified, and we certainly don't want to verify that ourselves, but the predictive models are generally pretty good. So even if there's a lot of false positives, we're afraid that there are some good, some more potent molecules in there. So in case you're not familiar, nerve agents are molecules that uh, can basically issue instant death to people. And this is why chemical warfare is such a concern. And it's kind of generally frowned upon in terms of like even, even armed conflict, like rules of war, you know, frowns upon, and I think maybe even outright you know, outlaws nerve gas or different like, you know, chemical warfare, which essentially is nerve gas. And VX, which they're saying is one of the most potent, if not the most potent one that we know of, they found some that could potentially be more potent than VX. And they found it all through basically taking uh, a generative AI, which generates good molecules and good drugs and basically just reversed it and said, all right, do the opposite. And it made a lot of potentially really, really nasty things. And in this article, it goes into how they did that. And he even says that 
you know, quote, for me, the concern was just how easy it was to do. A lot of the things we use are out there for free. You can go and download a toxicity data set from anywhere. If you have somebody who knows how to code Python and has some machine learning capabilities, then probably a good weekend of work, they could build something that like this generative model driven by toxic data sets. So that was the thing that got us really thinking about putting this paper out there. It was such a low barrier of entry for this type of misuse. That's really scary. What he's saying is all this stuff was really easy to do. Some of the stuff is over the counter, easy to create. And if you have any types of basic experience putting together some programming, I mean, the paper, the paper that they, you know, released, um, supposedly I'll have to read it, but goes through how, how to actually derive these data sets. And this knowledge now is, uh, it's creating like a, a question of is it ethical to uh, produce information about how to, how this stuff could be created because there's such a low barrier to entry to someone potentially misusing it. So is it okay to even talk about this stuff? Um, what type of information about this research should be published because it's so sensitive, you know, that if someone with a ill intent were to look at this information, if they had any type of, uh, skill set in programming or or a uh, computer like machine learning things like that they could create these uh these deadly compounds so really scary stuff and shows on the one hand our great potential you know our great potential to rapidly change our the trajectory of our of our species hopefully we'll do it for the better but this shows potentially the negative the negative qualities of that i think it's just amazing that we're even living in a, in a time where uh, these these things are being reported on. Even if you look, I mean, going into like people creating their own things, even if you look at what's possible with 3D printing now, you want to talk about producing things uh, that can uh, eventually lead to our own destruction. I think you can produce guns and bombs with 3D printers now, which is nuts. And um, I, I just, I've watched some documentaries on that. I think it's kind of fascinating in a way, though, how almost everything is becoming dem democratized and decentralized to a certain extent. And, you know, no one can stop us from acquiring certain objects, be it digital or physical, you know, because we can make them, we can crowdsource them, we can dow them, we can, <laughs> you know, uh, it's just an interesting time to be alive. But anyway, that is, uh, that's the story from BioNTech, BioNTech, that's a company. You guys like these transitions? So uh, what else do we have here? We have some good stuff. Ah, business. Did you know that Amazon finally closed that merger deal on uh, on a deal with MGM? So this is coming out of the New York Times. Uh, let me see here. Amazon closes $8.5 billion acquisition of MGM. And I think what was holding up this deal for a while, and it's finally, I believe it's going to go through according to this article there was concern that potentially it could create a monopoly but it seems to have passed the test and that they found that there wasn't enough of an overlap between what prime video was doing and what metro was doing to create a, a, a monopoly through doing it and according to variety amazon has closed 8.5 billion dollar acquisition of mgm the company said thursday the pact was first announced in may and has been winding its way through the regulatory process per amazon quote 
the storied, nearly century-old studio with more than 4,000 uh, 4, film titles, 17,000 TV episodes, 180 Academy Awards, 100 Emmy Awards, will complement Prime Video and Amazon Studios' work in delivering a diverse offering of entertainment choices to customers. Uh, the completion of the transaction comes two days after the Amazon-MGM deal received clearance from the European Union's antitrust regulator, which, quote, unconditionally approved Amazon's proposed acquisition of MGM in part because MGM's consent cannot be considered as must-have, or, or I'm sorry, content cannot be considered as must-have. The European Commission in its antitrust review found that the overlaps between Amazon and MGM businesses are limited. So yeah, that is what we're talking about here. So what is interesting is that you can just see the conglomerates continue to roll up. And I find it so interesting now that Amazon has really swallowed up so much of old media. What have they swallowed up? They swallowed up physical bookstores, essentially, by basically eradicating the majority of physical bookstores because the need for them has has erased itself, but then reestablishing their own bookstores. Uh, they've also bought up legacy news media, for instance, the, uh, the Washington Post, which is Amazon-owned, they have bought up, I mean, if you want to talk about content that we eat, they bought up Whole Foods. That's probably a different conversation, though. Uh, they've bought up, you know, tons of uh, of original, or they bought up ton, tons of old content from different uh, sources, in, in addition to made tons of original content. And now they're buying entire catalogs and studios of things. Um, so I believe that they're, you know, they're, the, they're a force to be reckoned with. Um, and they're certainly, at least in the streaming game, up for contention with Netflix and uh, Disney Plus. And I think that Netflix is still actually the the category king in terms of number of subscribers and probably revenue. But Disney Plus is uh, gaining ground quickly because it's only been around for two or three years. And Amazon is always a threat and they always have new things they can add because Prime, Amazon Prime, is actually the number one subscription in America of anything. So Netflix has the number one, maybe like streaming subscription, but Prime has the most members, period, um, of, of all stuff. And, and Amazon Prime Video is baked right into the Prime subscription, so it counts. And Amazon Prime is like, I think, 120 bucks a year, something like that, and it's totally worth it. And, uh, you know, it's just, you got to have it. But I thought it's so interesting how they're just eating these companies now for $8 billion, like it's nothing to them. The only thing that was stopping them wasn't the money. It was, can we get through the trust regulations? And the way it works in in the U.S. is basically the SEC, they don't approve. They don't have to approve you. They, they'll only pursue you if they have a problem. And they haven't had a problem so far with Amazon's acquisition of MGM. So it's, it's going through. I'm sorry, not the SEC, the FTC. Um, but the FTC... Uh, would have to have a problem with the merger and uh, and it seems like they haven't said anything. So I think it's going to go through quite fine and we'll continue to see, you know, how these companies roll up. Now with my company, Strength of Seduction, our goal uh, is to get rolled up into one of these, these larger brands. And we've seen Beachbody, for instance, which really started to do even better during the pandemic because of everyone being inside and Peloton, which ballooned and mooned and kind of now it's crashed. But I can see companies like that getting absorbed by bigger companies like say a Netflix or Hulu where those companies might eventually be interested in making some sort of fitness content. And then they would just buy a piece, uh, they would buy a company like a, a Beachbody or a Peloton. And so I would sell my company, which is like a fitness 
uh, workout program company to a company like a Beachbody or a Peloton. And Peloton would then get sold to a Netflix or a Hulu. And so it's just like a chain. And, you know, everything is going up towards the motherships, which are Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, and maybe to a certain extent, HBO Go or HBO Now. Um, and there are some other smaller players. But, you know, just having been in the industry myself, I can tell you that there are people have, I think, uh, in general, five an average of five streaming subscriptions uh per household and most of those are i don't think that includes music i think we're just talking streaming television and um most of those are already taken up so for instance if someone's on uh netflix amazon hulu you know they might have two other slots for you to you know either give some sort of like uh you know third-party streaming that you're going to make like for instance we have a streaming product or if you're going to uh you know try to get their attention with some other type of app or SaaS or something where it requires their mind share most people only have hooks for a certain number of uh, streaming products or content-based products and or even i think you could probably even hook into that youtube and like how many how many uh, areas of content can people focus on so if you're going to have a very engaging youtube channel you know when someone goes on youtube you might be one of two or three people that they actively look at because there's only so much mind share and youtube would only be one thing they look at in addition to the other things they're watching like uh you know netflix hulu and amazon so youtube might fill one of those spaces even though it's not a paid service it's still a streaming service and so it's like you know youtube was one of five and then you might be one of three on YouTube. So think about kind of like your place in the in the media economy. But I was thinking about that because we're, we want to sell our company to one of these. But I just think it's interesting how it's kind of like that, like the, the Russian dolls where it's like a small doll, then a bigger doll, then a bigger doll, then a bigger doll. Um, yeah, so I think about that a lot. I think about the whales of these industries and um, how everything kind of eventually moves up towards the whales, right? Don't the whales buy everything in the end? It's either like your company either dies or you get bought up at some point. Uh, you know, or you can keep making cash flow for yourself, which is totally fine. But especially in the streaming game like this, I just feel like it's uh, it, it's you have to either get funding and really blow it up, or you have to just get profitable and sell it. That would be, I, I think, the two the two options. But anyway, that's just my talk about streaming. Okay, what's the next headline we have? Okay, we're getting into some deeper stuff now. Uh, media. So this is interesting. <laughs> oh man. Um, so I don't know if you guys have paid attention to this. I think it's so interesting. Uh, Chris Cuomo hits back at CNN for their quote smear campaign against him with a $125 million arbitration demand. So in the States, we have a prominent news company, CNN, and CNN has, uh, you know, again, think about like just, <laughs> how 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 uh, specific and how zoomed in some of the stuff gets. There's only a few different networks. And of the few networks, there's only a few voices on each network. So just like the streaming platforms that you listen to, think about all the networks there could be versus how many we really listen to as a community mainstream. Probably five or six networks. You know, CNN, ABC, NBC, CBS, these are all mainstream networks. So CNN is one of our probably five or six main ones. And of that, Chris Cuomo is one of the maybe five to ten voices that really stand out on CNN. And Chris Cuomo, who hosts his own show, I think who has his own podcast, has a lot of segments, interviews from people, his brother was governor of New York, which is 
not only governor of a state, but governor of one of the, you know, the leading states in the country. And this country is one of the leading countries, if not still the leading country in the world. So that's a pretty big connection. The one of the major anchors at one of the prominent uh, television news sources in America is directly related to one of the prominent politicians in the biggest country in the world. So that is an important connection. And, you know, what I find so interesting is that there was this whole thing back in 2020 or maybe 20, I think it was last year, I think it was 2021. And basically, you know, Andrew Cuomo, who's the governor, was getting in trouble for a bunch of different things. There was something in the in the COVID uh, debacle where there was a nursing home deaths that he wasn't accounting for properly. And I think it was like 14,000 deaths that he didn't account for properly. And I'm not even sure 100% what the resolution was on that. I think that he underreported it or he misreported it because he didn't know what the fuck he was doing and he was and it was a very strange time. Um, so yeah, that probably did happen, but I don't know. I don't know who, who's who's to say what was reported and what wasn't. You know, the next piece of it though that came out after that was a sexual allegation about him. Uh, I, I guess it was sexual harassment. Nothing really clear and definitive came out to me. You know, if you compare like in a generation of Me Too, if you compare the allegations against him to someone like a, a, a Weinstein, a, a, a Weinstein, Jeffrey Epstein, the Weinstein, yeah, so Weinstein, or you know, even um, oh fuck, even like uh, Kevin Spacey, you know, the the accusations against Cuomo were pretty non-specific. They're just like, uh, I think he, I think he made a pass at me. So they were pretty non-specific. But what it seemed like to me was that there was a force that kind of wanted him out of office. So anyway, he ended up getting kicked out of office. And what was alleged about his brother, who was the anchor on CNN, was that his brother, the anchor, was trying to help the governor brother with some sort of coordination between uh, different sources for information um, or trying to like clear his name or, or help him out some way on his end and this was seen as improper, um, given both of their positions. The first part of that that's funny is that the they'd been everyone had known their connection for years. Chris Cuomo, the anchor, had been an anchor, and Andrew Cuomo, the governor, had been a governor, and they had a I think like even a segment together, and it was like well known. So I'm sure that even before that time, if they were sharing information at one time. They're sharing information at another time. That's a powerful media company and a powerful powerful position and a very powerful position in government. They were already working together as brother and brother because that's what you do if you're in that position. That's how it works. So I think it's so hypocritical to be like, hey, wait, you guys can't help each other now. Um, no shit, we've been doing it. So I just think that's so dumb. Uh, but the other funny thing is that the guy who fired Chris Cuomo, the anchor, uh, which uh, his his name is in this article. I can look for it. I'll, you can put it. I'll put it in the show notes. But the the former CEO of CNN, then within a few months of that, got fired himself for basically office politics because he had an affair with not even an affair because I don't think they were married. I think they're both single. But he had a relationship with one of his executives. Now she's still remaining at CNN, but the CEO either resigned or got fired. I think he resigned, but I just think it's so dumb because Cuomo's gone and then the guy who fired Cuomo's gone. And it just seems like 
they're cleaning house at CNN. And maybe there's a new ownership group at CNN. Maybe that's what's going on. I have to look at that. But anyway, all of this to say that Chris Cuomo is now hitting back at CNN and saying, listen, you guys are smearing me because you've made it almost impossible for me to work in this industry anymore. He's like, you know, I'll never be able to work in this town again. Uh, $125 million is what he is alleging that they owe him. That's $15 million for the remainder of the contract that he was on, uh, which they canceled him, and then $110 million in essentially damages for career and him missing future work because he's basically seen as untouchable, which honestly, I think is fair. Like, they did him dirty, bro. They did him pretty dirty, and, um, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's worth $110 million, but I can see why Cuomo would be upset. And I do think that he can recover from this. I think that from what I've seen, there wasn't much that he actually did. It wasn't, there wasn't much he could do to help his brother. So I'm not sure what they're alleging that he did. I do think it's messed up they just fired him like that. But uh, yeah, I have to see what the evidence is, you know, before I make any definitive judgments. But yeah, I thought that was interesting. And so he's hitting them with a $125 million uh, suit. And that will be interesting to see how that pans out. I think CNN is in kind of in a shaky space. They used to be seen as a very, very reputable news source, which uh, I believe for a while was seen as very objective. And then it became very left-leaning. And then it became just a very editorial and opinion-driven, like all news sources now. you know. And everyone has a bias. Everyone has a, an agenda they're playing into. And you wouldn't be, Noam Chomsky says this, you wouldn't be at CNN as a news reporter or a journalist if you weren't fulfilling some sort of agenda. And that's fine. And everyone knows you have, you know, you're, you're making money, you're selling advertisements, you know, news is a business. So that's always going to be a consideration. But there's just a certain amount of, of equanimity that we're looking for from our news providers and a certain amount of just discretion and, um, and judiciousness with the process and balance and variety and specificity, attention to detail. These are all things that are important uh, from a journalistic perspective that I think go lost a lot by just looking to get as many clicks as possible. So that's something that I think is is worth um, worth considering. And you know, CNN isn't, I think, the bastion that it used to be, if it ever was, maybe it never was. And Chris Cuomo potentially has a point with them smearing him. And so we'll, we'll watch to see how that goes. Uh, oh, what else do we have here? Okay, and last but not least, let's talk a bit about what uh, your favorite governor has to say about what's going on in Ukraine. So Arnold Schwarzenegger recently released a statement, and uh, this is just a um, just a video of him giving his thoughts on what's going on in Ukraine. He specifically says that you need to know the truth about what's going on there and that you're being deceived about what's happening in Ukraine. So I'm going to play this clip from Arnold, and then I want to know what you have to think. I hope that you will let me tell you the truth about the war in Ukraine and what is happening there. No one likes to hear something critical of the government. I understand that. But as a longtime friend of the Russian people, I hope that you will hear what I have to say. And may I remind you that I speak with the same heartfelt concern as I spoke to the American people when there was an attempted insurrection on January 6th last year, when a wild crowd was storming the U.S. Capitol trying to overthrow our government. 
You see, there are moments like this that are so wrong, and then we have to speak up. And it's exactly the same with your government. I know that your government has told you that this is a war to denazify Ukraine. <laughs> denazify Ukraine? This is not true. Ukraine is a country with a Jewish president, a Jewish president, I might add, whose father's three brothers were all murdered by the Nazis. You see, Ukraine did not start this war. Neither did nationalists or Nazis. Those in power in the Kremlin started this war. This is not the Russian people's war. No. As a matter of fact, let me tell you, what you should know is that the 141 nations at the UN voted that Russia was the aggressor and called for it to remove its troops immediately. Only four countries in the entire world voted with Russia. That is a fact. See, the world has turned against Russia because of its actions in Ukraine. Whole city blocks have been flattened by Russian artillery and bombs, including a children's hospital and a maternity hospital. Three million Ukrainian refugees, mainly women, children and elderly, fled their country. And many more are trying to seek to get out. It is a humanitarian crisis. Because of its brutality, Russia is now isolated from the society of nations. You're also not being told the truth about the consequences of this war on Russia itself. I regret to tell you that thousands of Russian soldiers that have been killed. They have been caught between Ukrainians fighting for their homeland and the Russian leadership fighting for conquest. Massive amounts of Russian equipment have been destroyed or abandoned. The destruction that Russian bombs are raining down upon innocent civilians has so outraged the world that the strongest global economic sanctions ever taken have been imposed on your country. Those who don't deserve it on both sides of the war will suffer. The Russian government has lied not only to the citizens, but to its soldiers. Some of the soldiers were told they were going to fight Nazis. Some were told that the Ukrainian people would greet them like heroes. And some were told that they were simply going on exercise. They didn't even know that they were going into war. And some were told that they were there to protect ethnic Russians in Ukraine. None of this is true. The fact is that Russian soldiers have faced fierce resistance from the Ukrainians who want to protect their families and their country. When they see babies being pulled out of ruins, I think that I'm watching a documentary about the horrors of the Second World War, not the news of the day. Now let me tell you, when my father arrived in Leningrad, he was all pumped up on the lies of his government. And when he left Leningrad, he was broken, physically and mentally. He lived the rest of his life in pain, pain from a broken back, pain from the shrapnel that always reminded him of these terrible years, and pain from the guilt that he felt. Yeah, you know, I've, I've always been uh, an Arnold fan, Arnold Schwarzenegger fan. Uh, I am a huge fan of his movies. I've, you know, I, I've grown up watching him. And then even in Venice, when I lived in Venice, California for almost, uh, I think, eight years, I would work out at Gold's Gym Venice, which was the place of the original bodybuilder. And, uh, the Venice gym that we worked out of, the goals that we worked out of, wasn't the original one from his iconic 
documentary Pumping Iron, but it was, uh, you know, and still is an iconic center right on the beach, uh, old and gritty and full of that just like iron energy and blood, sweat and tears and a fun place to be. And a lot of, you know, if you're into bodybuilding culture, you really understand uh, that uh, that gym and the significance of that gym. And I would see Arnold in there pretty much every week. And I even have shared a, a set with him or two and, and gotten a workout in with him. And But with no, no fanboy shit, just like, yeah, just getting a workout in on the same machine and just saying, hey, thank you. You know, have a good one. Do you need a spot? Okay. And it's all good, you know. And uh, But it, just, it was like cool to see. And, um, and there was a lot of like Mr. Olympias in there. Anyway, I'm talking about, I'm getting off on my shit about fucking gold gym. And, you know, talking about not fanboying, literally fanboying in retrospect. But all that to say, what do you think about his thoughts on Ukraine? I just played a small little snippet of that. But I think that he makes uh, definitely a good point that, um, that you know, this, I don't think that there are really any fascists in Ukraine as Putin alleges. And maybe Putin has, I don't know what his real motives are because there's what's reported and then there's what the reality is. And I don't know what the reality is. And I, that's something that's so hard with news nowadays. Like, I don't know what is really real versus what is just just being portrayed. Like, for instance, they're saying, oh, Putin is crazy and Putin has gone insane. Has he gone insane or or does he know something that we don't? So that's what I'm curious about. But either way, from what I read, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is one of like 22 people that Putin actually follows on Twitter, which is hilarious to me. And um, maybe he'll listen to him. I don't know. So that'll be interesting to see what happens with that. And God bless the governor. But what do you think? Let me know in the comments if you if you uh, listen to this on uh, the, the New Wave blog or if you're watching this on YouTube. Okay. Whoa, that's it. We're, we've covered all of the news bits for today. It is Friday, March 18th. This is Daniel signing out. The water is warm. The tide is rising. Let's jump on in and surf this new wave. I'm out of here. Oh, yeah. By the way, got to say thanks to our sponsors, uh, Swanich Sleepwear. Uh, we love the glasses. We love wearing them. I'm wearing them right now. They're saving my eyes. Uh, and by the way, make sure you check out uh, you check out newwaveentrepreneur.com. I have all the links to every single thing I'm working on, including where I'll be next uh, on my speaking tour, which I haven't officially announced, but I'm at least starting the process by talking first in Tucson on March 26th here at Soul Revival with my friends at Kairos Training Culture, Dr. Brett and Kate Jones. Okay, you can check out newwaveentrepreneur.com to get tickets for that or to get 15% off on your Swannies. More updates to come. Subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to. Uh, this on Spotify, iTunes, leave a review. Okay, now I'm done. The water's warm, tide's rising. Let's get ready to jump in and surf this new wave. Daniel, out for real this time.